We're going to be doing John chapter 13 today. It's part 18 of our series. It's a long series, isn't it? It's a long book, but I'm really being blessed as we go through this. And uh, my goal for today is to sit with Jesus during these last hours and to allow him to wash your feet. And I'm going to explain what that means. Uh, I'm going to be doing the following. I'm going to give you an introduction as to where we are. We're going to do three short stories, and then we're going to talk about what it means to allow Jesus to wash your feet. So, we've talked about the structure of John every week. I kind of explain a little bit more about it, uh, but we've come to the point now we've actually moved out of the first half of John. People have called John two books. The book of signs, which is chapters 1 through 12, and the book of glory, which is chapters 13 through 21. There are lots of literary indicators in the text that they are, they're marked out as being separate, although, of course, they hang together as well. But last week, we finished the book of signs, and we saw how it beautifully linked back to the beginning, and it made it a whole. And it's called the book of signs because Jesus did seven signs in that, starting with turning water into wine and culminating in the greatest of the sign, which was raising Lazarus from the dead. And we, the book of signs, I had this image for it going through, and it's got a kind of a symmetry to it. So I don't have this image yet for the book of glory because it's a lot of work. Uh, there are dozens of commentaries on John, and they all have their own idea, and most of them are wrong. So I, <laughs> so it's a lot of work. So, but I'm going to be giving you as we go through some of what it is. But I'm just going to uh, give you a summary for how I think the book of glory works. The book of glory starts with a meal with the disciples, which is what we're doing today, and then we have. Four chapters of new teaching from Jesus with the disciples. Some of the most incredible words of scripture are in these four chapters. Things like the vine and the branches. Those those pieces of teaching are in those four chapters. Then we have uh, verse chapters 18 through 20, which are his arrest, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And then we have another meal with the disciples, this time on a beach. And that closes the book. And one thing that that we'll notice is some very interesting connections between today's meal and the last meal. And in some ways, one of them ties up the loose ends in the other one. So that's the book of glory. And today, as we're looking with this meal, we have three stories in the Last Supper. Uh, we begin, actually, with a summary of the whole book of glory. And I'm going to look at that. And then we have the washing the feet of the disciples, one of you will betray me, and then Peter boasting that he will die for Jesus. And uh, it's just as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, there's a lot of intimacy in this story as we walk with Jesus through these events. And we see his own emotions as we go through, and we see how the, he is preparing for what is this horrific challenge he's about to face. But the the verse that opens this whole book of glory, the second half of John, summarizes it, and this is it. 
just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, to the end he loved them. Having loved his own who were in the world, to the end he loved them. Usually in our translations it says he loved them to the end, but actually the original says to the end he loved them, and it has a kind of a different force because it emphasizes right to the end he loved them. I could preach a whole sermon on this. One of the most, one of the deepest needs of human beings is to be attached. In ancient societies, if you weren't attached, you didn't survive. And, uh, you know, nowadays, a baby's survival depends on being attached by the, to the mother. The mother's committed to it. If the mother's not committed or caring about the baby, the baby doesn't survive. Uh, uh, in old age, we also become very dependent on others. We need people who we're attached to. There's a, a, in recent years, a, a researcher called Sue Johnson um, started a revolution in marriage therapy. What she did was she watched thousands and thousands of hours of video of couples arguing. Now, you might not think that's a very fun thing to do, but this is what she did. And she discovered something really quite surprising as she did this, that actually... What they're arguing about on the surface might be, oh, you were late. I need, you should do, why didn't you do this? But underneath, there was a common thing. Underneath, there was the deep question, are you going to be there for me when it, when it really counts? Are you actually committed to me? Are you there? Will you be there for me? And that was like an underlying question. And uh, her conclusion was, which has been very well substantiated, that the deepest questions that we have is, are you are you ever going to abandon me, or are you there for me? And the uh, that that's a fundamental question. Um, do you have people in your life who you are so committed to, or they're so committed to you that they will be with you to the bitter end? That's what we need, isn't it? We need people like that who are like that, and nothing can shake their love for you. And this is the kind of love that Jesus has for his own. And I just want to take a moment just to to sit with that, that Jesus says, I will love you to the end. I will love you to the end. I'm with you. In fact, the end is eternity. I am with you. I'm committed to you. Just sit with what that feels like to be, to have that commitment from Jesus. He will never abandon you. One more thing. Uh, can you imagine your grandmother's in a retirement home and uh, you go and visit her and she's very frail, but she says, don't forget, I'm always there for you. If you're ever in trouble, if you ever need me, is that very reassuring? Well, it's nice, but it's not particularly helpful. But when the son of God says, I will never abandon you, I'm there with you to the end. That is a whole different feeling that goes on inside of you. Very recently, I was talking to a friend who's just got back from vacation in a country where, let's say, the police force is corrupt. And on his last day there, he got into conversation with a police officer. And before he knew what happened, he was arrested and he was in a jail cell with 30 other people. And they'd taken his phone and his, his wallet and everything from him. And things looked pretty scary 
And he said, the only thing that saved me was that my brother knew where I was. And my brother was able to get me out. But he said, just what, what would it have been like if nobody had known I was there? And this is the kind of scary scenario that we can have. Like, what if we're, what if we're abandoned? What if nobody is with us? What if we're isolated and we're in trouble? And Jesus says, that will never happen if you are one of mine, because I will never abandon you. And I want to say that this could be the message for today, because this is such a powerful thing, such a deep thing. And this is the message of the book of glory. This is what it's about. Um, So then we move on to dirty feet. And here's a quote. Many ancient eastern streets must have been unpaved, narrow, badly crowded, and some would have been choked with refuge and frequented by dogs and other sources of excrement. So that paints a picture for you of what your feet would be like when you would come into into a house and why it was important to have your feet being washed. Even if you were wearing sandals, you know, your feet could get pretty dirty at this point. And, um, there are, there are two, there are two messages in the story of the washing of the feet. The first of these messages is about humility, about serving one another. And we're just going to, uh, read the story now. Let's just get this. Um, there we go. So let's just, I'll read the, the first part and we go through. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, to the end he loved them. During supper, when the devil had already put betrayal into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, Jesus who knew that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. In other words, he knew that he was God. Nevertheless, he rose from supper, removed his outer clothes, took a towel and tied it around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not understand what I'm doing now, but you will understand these things. Peter said to him, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus replied, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who would betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. When he'd washed their feet and put his outer clothing back on, he returned his place to the table and said, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for I am. So if I have washed your feet... The Lord and teacher, you too ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, just as I did to you, so you should do. I tell you the truth. The servant is not greater than the master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent them. 
extraordinary story that Jesus should do that. A story that is actually quite shocking. And um, I've got a summary here, which I think is a really good one, um, that brings out the elements from the story. The foot washing was shocking to Jesus' disciples, but not half as shocking as the notion of a Messiah who would die the hideous and shameful death of crucifixion, the death of the damned. But these two events, the foot washing and the crucifixion, are truly of a piece. And so as we move in, we've got to see that it's a little bit more complex than it looks like on the surface. And so what's going on in this? Well, I think there are two stories or two meanings from the story that flow out of this. The first one is the one that Jesus gives right there. We should wash one another's feet. If you've washed my feet, we should wash one another's feet. And um, I once was at a meeting where somebody was speaking on this, and he then produced a bowl and got all got a whole load of guys to come up and he washed their feet. And it was shocking. And I actually thought about doing this today. I should have a bowl here? What do I? No, 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 just joking. <laughs> I thought about doing this today, and I was talking to Anne. She said, yeah, that would really shock people. It would get their attention. And uh, I thought, well, whose feet should I wash? Like, who might be fairly clean? No. Um, <laughs> that, that would defeat the point. But, but actually, as I thought about it, in fact, it would give the wrong point. Because what's happened in the church is there are some, some groups today who actually practice foot washing as a kind of um, a ceremony, like we break bread together and we do other things. It's like ceremony. But there are problems with this because they always make sure their feet are very clean beforehand and it's all done in a very sort of um, uh, theatrical way. It doesn't really match what Jesus is talking about at all. And in fact, there's no record elsewhere in Scripture of the church taking this on as a, something to practice, like in a ritual. They were told to do it, but not as a ritual. There's no evidence that the early church had this as a ritual. So I don't think this should be a ritual, but it should be a reality in the terms that we relate to one another. And as I said, if I was to wash your feet, it would be anachronistic, like it's not what we do in our society. So what would be the equivalent? And I think all of us have to think through what the equivalent is. And so Jesus is talking about the leaders and people who are not high profile. How does that work out today? Well, uh, what is it that leader, that, that people, ordinary people don't get from leaders in, in Christian circles? Well, often the leaders, you know, straight after the meeting, they're out and they're, you know, they're, they're taken away or they've only got their own people around them. And what I think what people don't have is not foot washing. It's attention. It's time. It's attention. It's valuing those people. And so I think it's more subtle in our culture here in Canada that what we have to do is to say, are people important? Are, are other people important to us who are around us? Or are some people more important than others? And we want to talk to the important people and the people who are not important we're not interested in. And so I think that what the, the commodity that we have now that is in short supply is our time and attention. It's not whether we wash feet. And, and if we want to put this into practice, we give attention to everybody, no matter whether they are high profile important or whether they feel like they're nothing. 
That's, and you may have some thoughts. I would value anybody's thoughts or ideas about how we can apply this today because I think we must constantly rethink this through and re-engage in it today. So that's part of it. Um, but, but part of it is, comes from, part of what we have to, uh, understand about this comes from the verses in the middle here. And there's a difficult verse. But it's not just a difficult verse. I think it's one of the most important verses this morning. So building up to it, he came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, you're going to wash my feet. Jesus said, you don't understand what I'm doing now. Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. Uh, Then Jesus mentions this. Peter goes the other way around. Lord, wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And then Jesus makes this statement, which is the difficult verse. The one who's bathed does not need to wash, except his feet, but is completely clean. And you disciples are clean. So how do we allow Jesus to wash our feet? And this is going to be one of the key takeaways from today. Is Jesus talking about a top-up? You know, you're basically clean, but you just need me to top you up from time to time. Many people have understood it like this, you know. I've basically saved you and cleansed your sin, but every day you do a few bad things, you need those things to be washed away. Is that what it's about? I don't think that's what it's about. This is what I think it's saying. It's about the act of receiving. If I was to summarize it, I'd say the challenge is how to keep receiving forgiveness when so often we're filthy. Jesus has cleansed us, but we get muddy again, and he's already cleansed that sin on the cross, but we need to receive that from him. We need to come and say, Jesus, again, I've messed up. Please wash me. And it's that engaging with him which is humbling and difficult for us to do. So what Jesus is talking about is if we come to him when we're filthy and don't hide in shame, but to allow him to wash it. And I'm going to come back to this at the end because I've got one more piece to add to this story. So this is the first story in our passage, Jesus washing the feet. The second story is a very different, different one. The second story is about Judas. So let's read through this. I'm not about, I, sorry, I mistyped that. Um, what it says, I'm not, <laughs> um, all of you, I know the ones I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you this now before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever receives the one I I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was greatly and visibly distressed in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples began to look at one another, completely at a loss to know which of them he spoke of. Now, this is quite a vivid scene because they don't have a clue. They don't. Can you imagine that? Judas hid it so well, they didn't have a clue. 
And can you imagine what it was like when you're thinking, hey, is this me? Is there something about me that I don't know? And they are in a panic mode now. But the other thing to notice in this is Jesus, John tells us, and John was close to him in this, John says he was greatly and visibly distressed in spirit. Can you imagine what it's like for Jesus here? That these 12 people that he's poured his life into, he's loved them so much, one of them is going to have an action that is so nasty, so vicious, that it's going to lead to the most brutal death possible. And my response to this passage is just to sit with Jesus in this and to, to imagine what it was like for him. Let's carry on reading. Verse 23, one of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, that's the name that John is called by in John's gospel. He never names himself. We'll talk another time about why he uses that name. But this is John, was very close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved leaned back against Jesus' chest and asked him, Lord, who is it? This Last Supper wasn't sitting at a table like the great paintings have have them. They would have been reclining on the floor on one arm with the food in the middle and their legs outwards. And Jesus would have been next to John. And so John's head would have been right here. He could have leant back uh, on the floor and tipped his head back and just asked Jesus very closely. Jesus replied, and apparently the other disciples didn't hear this, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread after I've dipped it in the dish. Then he dipped the piece of bread and gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. I once was taken to an Ethiopian restaurant by an Ethiopian, and he showed us their custom of they would tear some bread off and then dip it in the food and then push it into other people's mouths. And he started feeding me, and it was kind of strange, but that's what you do to honor somebody. You would actually get some bread and push it into their mouths. And we kind of had some fun doing this, and that's how they... So this is what Jesus is doing. He's actually, whether he pushes it into his mouth, he probably, in this case, it's not close enough he just gives it to him but this is part of the way that they would eat and um so he does this he dipped the piece of bread and gave it to judas the son of simon iscariot after he took the bread satan entered into him jesus said to him what you're about to do do quickly No one at the table knew why Jesus said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him to buy what they needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. Having taken the bread, Judas went out immediately. It was night. And that night's not just literal, but there's a figurative. The night is coming at this point. And how would you to respond to this story? Well, There's not like a command, don't be a Judas or something like that. That's not the point of it. I think the point of it here is just to see that Jesus suffered one of the worst emotional pains that we can have. Have you ever been betrayed by somebody? Ever had a situation where somebody you thought you trusted, you thought this person really cared for you, and they just betrayed you? And it's happened to me, and it's horrible. It is one of the worst things that a human being can experience, to have betrayal. And Jesus had just washed his feet. 
Jesus had just done this. Jesus had shown nothing but love and kindness to this person. He was there all along. He'd been there from the beginning. Why did the father make Jesus go through this? I mean, it wasn't necessary that the betrayer should be one of the disciples. The plan could have been he was just someone else. Why was the plan of God that the betrayer should come from within the inner circle? I think so that Jesus could experience the whole range of human suffering. And he could say to us, I know what this is like. And this is why it tells us in verse 20, 21, Jesus was greatly and visibly distressed in spirit because it really hurt him. It re- even though he knew it, even though he knew from the beginning, it really hurt him. And so I, I think our response to this is just to, to, to be with Jesus, just to sit with him and to say, here is somebody that can really sit with us when we are in such a situation. John was there. He saw it and he recorded it because we need to know. Then we have the last part of our passage here, the last story. When he'd gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him right away. And we see that Jesus is using glorified to mean his actual crucifixion. That was his glory. And then we have, he says, little children, I am still with you for a little while. You will look for me. And just as I said to the Jewish religious leaders, where I am going, you cannot come. Now I tell you the same. So this little group of people that he cares so much for, he's preparing them for this event. Verse 34, a new commandment I give you, that you should love one another, just as I have loved you, so that also you should love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, what's happening here is this is a summary of what the next four chapters are going to be. The next four chapters are going to be preparing the disciples for when he leaves, what it's going to be like, and the new commandment, the new teaching, and the new life there to walk in, which is a life of loving one another. So this is a little summary here, and then we go back to the subject of going in verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, Why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. The rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. So our temptation here is to say, what a jerk. This Peter, like he's always jumps in and thinks he's so great. Um, but there's something bigger happening here. And so what I want to do, I think, to really get what's happening here, we have to go back to the foot washing, and then we'll come, uh, we'll come forward again to this passage. So I'm going to go back to the foot washing, and... Um, Actually, let me go back on the other screen. 
Oops. There we go. Um, let's go back up to the foot washing. So we have this um, verse here. He says, um, uh, this difficult verse. Um, you, you are disciples are clean, but no, hang on, here it is. The one who's bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he's completely clean. And the idea of, of being completely clean by needing your feet to be washed. So, um, I, what, I tell you what I think is happening here. If we look in the last chapter of John, we see some really neat parallels with this chapter. We see some threads that are woven together. And when we get there, I'm going to show you a lot more. But just one or two. Jesus, only twice in the book of John, calls the disciples children. And they were in those both two passages. Um, both of them, John is referred to as the disciple who Jesus loved. Um, both times, Jesus serves them a meal uh, and gives them bread. Um, there are several other neat, neat connections, but the most, the biggest is it resolves Peter's denial. The last chapter resolves the denial that's set up here. Now, I don't know if you remember the story. They're out fishing. Jesus does a miracle. They get fish. Um, and then John says, it's Jesus. What's Peter's reaction? He jumps in the water. He jumps in the water. And what I'm going to suggest to you, he's, he's covered in shame. He feels filthy in his shame, and he jumps in the water. They come to the shore. What does Jesus do? Jesus addresses him and restores Peter. And I think what is happening there, you're seeing Jesus saying, I'm going to wash your feet now. And he washed his feet in that beautiful way by restoring him, taking off the guilt that he was carrying and that self-condemnation that he was carrying him and restoring him and giving him a position in the kingdom. And although Peter felt so unclean, he just wanted to jump in the water, Jesus saying, no, all you need me to do is to wash your feet. And I think that this, me this metaphor of, of Peter here is actually the same story. So Peter denying Jesus at this time is like getting some dirt on himself and Jesus washed him clean. And this is such a beautiful story because it really shows like there's this self-disgust Peter must have had at what he's done and the gentle, beautiful way that Jesus cleansed him and washed him and put everything right. And I, I love this story because I think it's a great place for us to land today. And this is what I want to do. I want to, to bring this together now, and I want to say, allow Jesus to wash your feet this morning. We come to him when we're filthy, and don't hide in shame, but allow him to wash us. And this is the, 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 the challenge. Jesus says, if you understand these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. If you understand these things, you'll be blessed. And I want to challenge you this morning. Um, I want you to sit with him in the broken heart from his betrayal. But most of all, I want you to take this in. That if you're his, you will never, ever, ever be abandoned. Having loved his own, 
to the end, he loved them. And if you want to know how to become a Christian, this is the perfect metaphor of becoming a Christian because becoming a Christian is allowing Jesus to wash you. And to, to, to do that, you have to recognize you have some need, but he's willing. And if you come to him and you say, Jesus, I, re- I recognize I need, I, I'm, I've got bad stuff on me. I need you to wash me. He will do that in the most beautiful and gentle way. So my challenge to you now is these three things. Don't hide in shame. I'm sure all of us do things every day that we're ashamed of. Come straight to Jesus and just see him as that one who is welcoming you. That's my main challenge to you today. My second challenge is just to sit with Jesus who suffered emotionally so much through this and he really gets it when you are suffering and the third thing is to take it in that he'll never abandon you take in what that's like that this son of god has such a commitment to you he will never abandon you even when you're filthy in stuff that you've done that's disgusting he will invite you back because that's the kind of love that he has so I'm going to invite the worship team up now. I'm just going to, to come to, to God in prayer now and just bring these things to him. Jesus, we are, we are so touched and deeply moved as we walk with you through those last hours and see your care, your deep commitment and your compassion and you see us in our constant mistakes and your love for us is not moved one tiny bit and jesus we feel right now the intensity of your love and your commitment to us we just want to praise you we just want to thank you we just want to say lord help us to receive help us to receive not like peter where he pushed you away but help us to receive everything that you have for us and just to enjoy it. We ask this, Father, to give this to us in Jesus' name. Amen.